Today on the Pick and Pod, we welcome in Steve Hurd, Executive Vice President of the Elias Sports Bureau, around five minutes in. Talk Knicks, Nets, and Pacers around 26 minutes into the program. And then we get you out of here with picks at the 36-minute mark. From our WFUV studios in the Bronx, New York, it's the Pick and Pod. Drop us a voicemail at 347-903-WFUV. Now, here are your hosts, Penny Ducey and Matt Rosenfeld. Knicks, Nets, tonight, MSG, and the Knicks. They can move into the, the eighth spot of the East. They can move into the eighth spot of the East. The Knicks are desperate while the Nets are just had just clinched with a great win over the Rockets last night. April, I'm looking forward to the game tonight, though, Ken. I am so much, very much, that was the correct term, looking forward to this game tonight. This is the Pick and Pod on April 2nd, 2014. Kennedy, Matt Rosenfeld, and Kevin Kelly. Yes. Hey, hey, hey. How you doing today? What's up, Kev? Not much. It's good to be here, as always. We were at the NCAA Regional together. That was very, very was much, many fun, much wow. Much Yes, yeah. <laughs> very fun. No doubt, a lot of fun. Got saw some great games, and uh, I'm excited for the Final Four. Um, I am also excited for the Final Four. Early, or, or, let's just get this out of the way right yeah, now. Yeah, good plan, good plan. Let's get, yeah, we're on the fly here. I'm sorry about Michigan, Matt. That was so hard. I'm sorry. It was that's, hard for me, too, because I hate Kentucky. Like, I was actually at the Nets-Timberwolves uh, game for that, and I was watching it on the monitor in front of me, and I I and tried had, as hard as I watch, could not to cry. And then you had to watch the Timberwolves. <laughs> Although, I will say this about the Timberwolves. They're bad, but Ricky Rubio's a blast. Early predictions for Final Four winners. For Final Four games? Oh, I, I have Florida beating UConn, I think, away from MSG. Florida's too good, too much. I know you guys love UConn, but you guys were in the garden. Uh, and I have Kentucky beating Wisconsin. Too much talent. They're figuring it out. And then I have Kentucky beating Florida because I don't think you beat a team four times in one season. Yeah, see, I don't know. What I want to happen is different than what I think will happen. And I do think Florida will beat UConn as much as I want Shabazz to win it all. Like, I am rooting for UConn all the way. Other than that, I want Wisconsin. But I do think it'll be most likely a rematch of the SEC final. Really want to see... Well, obviously, want to see UConn in there, but I do think that they 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 can ride this momentum. I do too. Yes, and like you asked me, and I you asked obviously I picked at the beginning of the tournament, and I said UConn was going to go to the Elite Eight, and I didn't think they were going to get past you know Michigan State Mi- or Virginia, Michigan State or Virginia, where, yeah, whoever it was going to be. Now that they've beaten Michigan State, who Spiro Didas told us last week, probably the best team in the tournament. Maybe the best team in the tournament. I mean, they I, they th- beat Florida. I'll before. say this: they have Shabazz. I will. They, they can, when they beat they Florida, Florida was injured. Florida also didn't did not like lose that game by a lot. Florida's on another level right now, and I just I don't see a one man wrecking crew like Shabazz taking over this senior laden Florida team. But it was all it was also at UConn, so I have to add that. But the one thing is, if Gafai starts making like any shots, it'll right. be different. He, he was not. I think Daniels will keep he was it going. Gafai was terrible. The yeah. At at that same point, though, if we're talking about regression and going back to the mean, is Shabazz really going to keep this up? Oh yeah, I think he can. Yes. I, it's Shabazz. He can. I love Shabazz. Come on, it's Shabazz. That's I, like. That's, I don't know. I don't. That's trust like it. that's like oh. Oh, Kemba won two games in the Big East tournament. My he's favorite, not going to do it again. Oh, he did it again. He's not going to do. Oh, he did it again. He's not going to do it again. He did it again. No, that could happen. It's not going to do it again. The NCAA tournament. He did it again. To a total variance thing, Kentucky hit sixty percent of their threes when they've been hitting. That's 30%. how it was against right. Wichita State too. Things happen 
in one game eliminations, but, and I don't think Shabazz is going to happen to Florida. But Shabazz has happened like all year. He I, happened to Florida. He beat Florida, game winner. He beat Michigan State. He beat Michigan State. At the end, just there. so we we can go back to that Florida UConn game, I was actually looking at it yesterday. Right, we need to get there off was this there was a foul late right in the now. game that gave Shabazz the opportunity to hit a game winner as opposed to a game tire. Th- they didn't whoop on Florida; they beat them barely at home. I don't see Florida losing. I to didn't the say they whooped on Florida, but they've beaten them before, which helps. Yes, it does they help. Have, it helps. They're playing mentally. incredibly well. They just beat Michigan State, which is a very tough opponent. Again, they didn't really have anything from Gafai. DeAndre Daniels is maybe playing the best basketball of his life right now. If they keep shooting free throws the way they've been doing, too. Yeah, they've been hitting be, their free throws. It'll be big time. On the know. other side, though, don't sleep on Frank Kaminsky. I want Wisconsin to take don't, down don't Kentucky. Don't sleep on Kentucky. They're just, they are just too talented. They're too, no, they're really good. They, have, they bring five stars off the bench. It's just scary because they're so... Big. They rebound. They rebounded their misses at a sixty percent rate against Michigan. I mean, I know they have the size advantage, but that's scary. You're throwing a lot of stats at me right now. I think we should get into our statistical discussion. How about that? I'd love to. We love stats in this pod. All right, we're going to bring in our special guest now, Steve Hurt, the executive vice president of the Elias Sports Bureau, a Fordham grad in the class of '72. Steve, how's it going today? Very well, Kenny. How are you? Doing all right, and uh, we just kind of wanted to start off just asking you kind of what your day-to-day uh, routine is and really just your time at the Elias Sports Bureau, what you've done there, um, and what really you guys are focusing on now in terms of the NBA season. Well, the Elias Bureau is what's called the uh, official statistician for uh, uh, all of the major professional uh, major sports leagues in North America, that is the, uh, the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball. Uh, the National Hockey League, uh, Major League Soccer, the WNBA, and um, we've been doing that uh, for some time, back since the pencil and paper days, if you will. Uh, I started working here uh, part-time when I was at Fordham uh, in 1970, I think, and uh, and I've had, uh, I've only uh, worked at one place in my entire life. I don't know too many people like that. Uh, so things have changed uh Dramatically, uh, we oversaw the introduction of uh, computers, then the introduction of personal computers, then uh, the rise of the Internet, uh, the interest in statistical data. Uh, but through it all, uh, it's been, it's been uh, the mantra of, uh, of our company, I guess, or it's been said about us by others that uh, if it ain't Elias, it ain't official. <laughs> Steve, you've been there so long. Did you ever foresee... statistics being such a big thing in sport you know there's an entire culture now about statistics did you ever foresee that when you joined them while you were in college really no matt uh i I wish i wish i could claim great foresight on it um i thought it was just an interesting uh job to uh to have for a year or two when i first got out of college while uh while i sent out uh uh tapes to uh, radio and television stations. I was a communications major. Uh, and um, the, more I, the more I worked at it and, and, I could st- and computers were first starting to come in, I saw that we had a tremendous volume of, uh, of data on, on uh, you know, uh, organized on, on pencil and paper. And if we could get that stuff into the computer, we'd have uh, what, today, what today you would call an asset. Uh, so um, 
But at the time, you know, as they say, a year or two out of Fordham, uh, if, I, if I got together with friends of mine, uh, you know, a little impromptu reunion, they'd say, hey, what are you doing now? And I would describe, well, you know, I keep statistics for, for sports. They would look and say, that's a job? <laughs> you know, literally. Uh, and then, uh, so things have changed dramatically. And, um, you know, pe- pe- people today uh, don't know a world before computers, but it had such a subtle change on everybody's everyday life. I remember the first time your your gas bill or your phone bill arrived, and there was a little chart in there showing you uh, why you were paying $62.85 this month and how many, how many calls you made from zone A to zone B or however it was uh, calculated back then. So people were familiar with, with statistics in their everyday decision-making, and that carried over in, into sports. And then at a certain point, sports sort of took the lead in, in that area, I think. Well, Steve, uh, one of the things that now all of a sudden has become just a, a really hot topic is the advanced stats and the advanced metrics in the NBA. And really over the last couple of years, a lot of people have been using them. Uh, how, do you believe in these advanced stats in terms of providing value to us understanding the game? And how do we make these easy to understand for the general public? Uh, I like to call them the new statistics uh, because uh, – uh, I, I believe that the great majority of sports fans uh, are not particularly, statistical, particularly statistically inclined. Not particularly statistically inclined. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tongue twister. But uh, they like to watch the games for enjoyment. And I think we have to, we have to uh, take a step back. I, w- I would be the last one to say that any piece of statistical data is without meaning. I, I believe every, everything that's collected has some meaning to someone. But in a lot of cases, the meaning is to the general managers of the professional teams, the 30 NBA general managers or the 30 baseball general managers or the 32 uh, football general managers. Uh, in, in terms of evaluating players as to who to sign to long-term contracts, things like that, and it's not especially uh, built for for consumers to evaluate during the game. I mean, if I'm watch if I'm watching a uh, a baseball game, I might want to know uh, if they're bringing in a uh, a left-hand pitcher to face uh, Brian McCann, the new Yankees catcher. Uh, I, I might want to know how he did against lefties last year or something like that. Uh, but I don't think that's particularly high tech. Um, uh, you know, and, and it might be interesting to know in 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 the NBA, uh, you know, who who shoots the corner three the best. Great piece of information, uh, but I I, th- I think that there's a difference between the statistics that are consumed by uh, the professionals who are running teams and the statistics that we uh, that we ask the the fans to consume. Steve, in the NBA, as Kenny said, you know, advanced metrics, advanced statistics, they've kind of just taken off. In baseball, we have the entire subculture of sabermetrics. Do you ever see basketball advanced stats getting to the point where there's these entire group of people that are disregarding old school stats? Uh, could happen. Uh, but the the group that you referred to in baseball, um, as, as well-developed and well-entrenched as it is, is still quite a small minority of all of the uh, – 70 million or however many people went in to watch Major League Baseball games last year. Uh, 
so while you get you get a sense, uh, especially on the internet, of people who are very well versed in in uh, the new statistics with the uh, uh, that have been that have been uh, um, derived over the last uh, decade or so, uh, that's not particularly the case uh, when you when you go to a ballpark. Uh, I think. Uh, or in coverage of the game, uh, I think we have to recall, remember that, uh, as you guys know, the word the word broadcasting refers to reaching a, the greatest number of audience, uh, greatest number of people in the audience, and speaking to them with clarity, uh, not speaking at something that's uh, directed over their heads. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why you see the new statistics have had trouble gaining some traction in uh, broadcasts of of, uh, of events in, in all the sports. Uh, I agree with you that the uh, the basketball uh, analytics are, are kind of at a at a uh, younger uh, age than than the ones in baseball. Uh, but I, I I think it'll follow the same uh, same direction that uh, baseball has gone, and and, and I think that uh, as I say, uh, p- putting more data in the hands of people making decisions. Uh, can only help those decisions. Well, Steve, you know, you look at a lot of great statistics that have been developed, you know, you know, an example, PER, but not a lot of statistics can account for defense. I mean, do you ever see us being able to measure a player's defense? Like, for example, we do in baseball, there are now a whole bunch of great statistics that can measure a player's value on defense. But, I mean, not so many, you know, in basketball. Do you ever see that developing into something? And maybe is there something already that you think is a great teller, maybe even just steals or blocks of defense? Well, steals and blocks have been counted for about 40 years now uh, in the NBA. And um, I think it does it does uh, tell you something. Uh, it tells you something about a player like Anthony Davis or Chris Paul uh, that you would not know otherwise. Um, I think measuring the the uh, the one-on-one defense, such as when player X is guarding player Y, is a little bit more dicey. I I, I would I, I would uh, analogize that to um, in football, offensive linemen. The idea of offensive linemen permitting a sack. When you when you watch a game, uh, if you see uh, a particular defensive end come in and get a sack of the quarterback, what do you think? Well, it was the it was the offensive left tackle's fault because he's supposed to take him. Well, generally yes, but maybe on that particular play, uh, unbeknown to to us watching the game, they had uh, some sort of zone blocking scheme where you're supposed to block down one, and maybe the guy next to him didn't get the message. So. It's, I've always found it uh, difficult to assign statistical blame for for something that we may not know enough about. And back to the basketball example, if 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 I'm guarding you most of the game, but on a particular play, I we decided that I would I would make a show of guarding you, and then one of my teammates would come along and be responsible for picking you up, and you went in and scored and scored a basket. You know that would that should that count against my record or not? You know you have to you have to know what what the what the plan is more or less. So I'm I'm always hesitant to to ascribe uh, the statistical blame in in, in that way um, uh, in, unless unless we know all the facts. Uh, I want to talk about something that you have been kind of you guys at Elias have been looking at for the whole year, and it's the NBA in three point shooting. Uh, the 11th highest monthly averages from you guys. Uh, this statistic in three goal, three point field goal percent attempts per game, uh, all have come in the last 11 months. 
at a minimum 100 games in NBA history. So clearly teams are shooting the three at an extremely high rate this year. Do you think this is something that's kind of just an, an outlier this year, or is this something that we're going to see in the future, a lot of teams making a focus of shooting a lot more threes? And, and also, really, I mean, why do you think this is? Well, I think it's a strange thing because it's it's always been the case that a three-point uh, basket, to, 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 to beat, browbeat the obvious, uh, was worth uh, – one point more than than uh, a shot from inside the arc, and but for some reason it, it's taken until the last two or three years for a lot of teams to stress that, in their view, the long two is is the poorest percentage shot in basketball because you have the least chance of getting it in, and you're you're only getting two points as if you uh, as opposed to if you just took another step or two back, you'd be behind the arc and you get three points for essentially the same shot. Uh, the, the the recognition of that fact has seemed to t- uh, have, have taken hold now, and uh, you see a lot of teams uh, come down on offense, and they'll, they'll have uh, maybe two players inside the arc. They'll have their center and maybe one other player inside the arc, and the, the other three teams are, are spaced along the, the perimeter of the arc, two guys in the corner and one at, at, at the top, and, you know, inside inside you see basically five defenders and and two offensive players. Um, what, what's, what's happened, just to repeat the statistics uh, f- for the listeners, um, this is the first year where uh, more than one out of four uh, field goal attempts have come from beyond the arc. It's 26% of all field goal attempts this year have been three-point attempts. Uh, but more than that, uh, just, just for reference, uh, 10 years ago it was 19%. And 20 years ago it was 12%. So it's grown significantly over over the decades, but it's grown especially uh, in recent years because, as 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 you uh, cited our, our number uh, this month, the one that just concluded uh, March, uh, there were 44 three-point field goal attempts per game. That's for both teams combined, uh, and that's the highest total in any month in NBA history breaking a month that had stood all the way since last December, two months ago, when there were 43.5. Um, and as you say, uh, if you look, if you the, the three-point rule came in in 1979, and if you look at every month, every basketball month, in which 100 or more games were played in the NBA, so we're excluding the fragmentary Octobers, where there are sometimes a few games played, right. the, uh, the top 11 months, one through eleven on that list of two hundred one months. The top eleven months are the eleven most recent months, and the top five months are the five months uh, from this season: uh, November, December, January, February, March. With March being the highest, uh, so it's 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 definitely something that's taken hold. Um, and I don't know if if attention to analytics is is responsible for it i mean it's it's something that's always been there hmm. uh you know the, the a, a lot of the three point shots are, are are taken because um i think the the, the defense has uh, defense defensively teams have been slow to adapt to the uh, to the new offensive philosophy of taking a lot of threes um and i expect that what you'll see is Defense is protecting the arc more, and that might allow more spacing on the court for teams then to take more twos. So 
you know, uh, shorter shots uh, down the lane, more driving to the hoop. These things have a, have a yin and yang to them that, um, you know, when, when, when you uh, defensively, when you try to uh, <clears throat> to put your finger put your finger in the in the hole in the dam here, another another uh, another possible venue for shooting spurts up over there. So, I, I think that we're going to see uh, defenses adopt, and I wouldn't be surprised to see if they if some new systems when we see the teams come out to play next year. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see if there's some new uh, defensive systems that protect against the three more effectively. Interesting, interesting projection there, Steve. And real quick, before we let you go, um, because you've been so kind enough to to join us here, um, I was curious. You mentioned in there, you know, you don't you don't know if there's been, or, or you were talking about really the change in how teams look at analytics. I mean, you look at you know a team like the Knicks and Mike Woodson, and they were criticized a lot this year, really, for the fact that the numbers clearly showed that you know they were worse with certain players on the floor and better with certain players on the floor, and, and really there was no attention paid to that. Uh, do you think that kind of you know advanced statistics analytics uh, will be used in the future by pretty much all teams really in the next five years? Because it does seem like there are teams that still won't really pay any sort of attention to that. Oh, I I, I think they probably are paying some attention to it. Uh, you know whether they want to acknowledge it publicly is is something that they're something that they you know might feel hesitant to do. And look. You know, certain players, you, you look and you see when this guy's on the court, the team is minus 9 or minus 10 points for 48 minutes played, and uh, it's apparent to everyone except apparently the coach who <laughs> keeps putting him in, uh, you know, who, who, whoever it might be. <clears throat> the things I'm, I'm more fascinated by are how groups of players play together and how if you have a group of players that plays together uh, consistently, you can you – can, uh, your, your five-man unit – has more cohesion. I mean, the, the the Pacers by far have the five-man unit that's 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 played the most minutes together on the court together this year, uh, almost fourteen hundred minutes for George Hibbert, Hill, Stevenson, and West, and uh, almost fourteen hundred minutes. And I think there's only four other teams that have even half as many that minutes, half as many minutes of their of their top five playing together. So I mean, I, I think it has an effect. Uh, on your on, on your uh, ability as, as your cohesiveness as, as as a five man unit, and I think it's underrated to to look at how how that uh, translates to victories over the course of the season. Hi, this is Steve Hurt, the executive vice president of the Elias Sports Bureau, Fordham grad in the year of 1972. Steve, thank you so much for for coming on today and talking to us a little bit about statistics and uh, a lot to wrap our heads around for sure. But uh, you you really kind of put it in perspective. Thanks so much, Kenny and Matt. My pleasure. It was a pleasure too. Thank you so much, Steve. I really think we do get a little like over stat heavy stuff. I mean, I definitely am like. You're over, an offender, but over immersed in statistics sometimes. Yes, I'm an offender. You're an offender, but you can't really, we can't really blame it because you know the we follow the NBA pretty heavily, and a lot of the guys we follow are very into it. And the thing about statistic guys are they they seem to be the ones that are yelling the loudest. Casual viewers don't really put their opinion out there, don't really break down things as much, so they don't need stats as much. It's important to remember that yeah, the majority of people are not all over these advanced metrics. They're still in a pretty early stage. Right. No, he made a really good point because I look at baseball and I look at, you know, fan graphs and, and, you know, the people who are religiously on on baseball reference and and you think, 
oh, you know, this is like a giant, a giant yeah. culture Absolutely. and baseball, a giant subculture is just these statistics. But I mean, in reality, you look at, okay, you you know, okay, well, it's all over my Twitter feed. Well, that's because you're probably following, yeah. you know, <laughs> 10, 15 analytical, you know, writers or, or analytics-based writers. And the same thing with basketball. I mean, you know, our our favorite guys, you know, Seth, Dubin. Oh, Dubin's a big all, one. Chris yeah, they're Herring. all big followers of right. I mean, metrics. Th- those are all analytics guys. but And that's the kind of stuff that we like, you know, and, and we're kind of stats-oriented, I guess, you know, being young and trying to understand the game more. So that is – Really, I think where uh, this kind of perception of statistics are completely taking over. I mean, again, like looking at like now the Sloan Conference was one point where that was, um, you know, a, a big kind of well, that was the main focus really because it's Sloan. But yeah. that kind of put it on the with ESPN. It put it on it the got map. A lot of ESPN coverage. guys were promoting Simmons, it. Zach Lowe. That kind of put it in the national spotlight as something that's kind of coming up and emerging. It's but that's exactly where it is. It's coming up, it's emerging. It's certainly not the hard and fast thing that people follow when they follow the NBA. We're still a long way away from that. Right. But I mean I think it is something that people want to see more of and people want to understand more Agreed. of. Agreed. And one of our one of our Fordham alums, Ryan Rucco, even mentions efficiency ratings yeah, on the Nets on, broadcast. Right. And it's just nice to see for us because we know it so well. And I think we could be heading there where the, those are the base stats that we reference. Well, I don't know. See, I don't know if they'd be base stats, but I also don't think they need to be called advanced metrics, a, a lot of them at least. Because yeah, and Zach Lowe said that at one right. point. It, it kind of alienates it. It makes it sound right, like people like, oh. can't understand it. Like it's just so so tough. And but they're honestly, really basic. They're percentages. And honestly, the yeah, most of them are not like the even perce- like turnover percentage. Stats. How many times do you turn it over on your possessions? Like, what percentage of your possessions result in turnovers? Right. That's not advanced. Rebound percentages. How many of rebounds yeah. that are available to you? That's not which advanced. Is a, which uh, which like that's a really cool stat because you look at okay, you know, look at the defensive rebounds, offensive rebounds. Like how efficiently are you rebounding? Or you know, I, I like possession stats too. Like we always use them, but it's 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 a very basic statistic how many points are you scoring per 100 possessions or you can even just look at points per possession yeah it's just it simply regulates what you see and puts it into a more you know term in which over a long time would make more sense and they're not advanced and it's I think Zach Lowe's point that they shouldn't be called advanced is a great one because it does alienate people yeah it does a disservice um the Knicks were alienated in the Eastern Conference, kind of just thrown away. They're not going to make the I playoffs. Threw them away. They, we all threw them away. They could win tonight against the Nets and move into the eighth spot if the Hawks lose. And the thing is, which the Hawks would set the world in like, on. It would just be engulfed in flames. It'll set your world on fire. And the Hawks play the Bulls, very losable game. Bulls still need to win to keep pace with the the Raptors and the Nets. And the Nets are probably exhausted after. You know, this will be their third game in four nights. It's not a far trip, but you do have to get up. You have to go to Madison Square Garden. It's not your home court. It's a budding rivalry, too. It, and <laughs> Everyone knows these games mean more. I think Paul Pierce, Darren Williams both said it last night. You could poo-poo it as much as you want, <laughs> but these games mean more to these players. Let me just get the Hawks' remaining schedule on the table because it's not easy. They're going to have real trouble. They have Chicago tonight. Then they go to Cleveland, which we've learned from the Knicks is not a cake. Or they actually play Cleveland at home. We learned from the Knicks it's not a cakewalk. And then they have Indiana, Detroit, Boston, Brooklyn at Brooklyn, 
Miami, Charlotte, and Milwaukee. Milwaukee's not a gr- like great team, but other than that, the season could already be over for them by the time they get to their last game that's, against Milwaukee. Right, that, and that's a very, Kevin, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's a great point because as, as tough as uh, the Knicks' schedule is. And it's and, tough. And, uh, and I'm look, looking I'm at it right s- now. I'm absolutely not saying the Hawks' schedule is as tough as the Knicks. The Knicks have an extremely tough schedule, tougher than the Hawks, but the Hawks still have to play, go out and play some tough opponents. The Knicks also benefit from the fact that they play – uh, their last three games are Chicago, Brooklyn, Toronto. Those three seeds, while they're very muddy right now, could be set by the time the Knicks go to Brooklyn for the right, last time. Right, very true. Or play, to host, play host to Toronto on the last day of the season. Those teams could not really be giving their all. And you look at, oh, I, like, okay, Brooklyn tonight, winnable with Brooklyn very as winnable. exhausted as they are right now. They already clinched a playoff berth. Washington's very winnable. You look at a Miami team who, you know— a, the Pacers, they're not playing very well. I mean, this is, I mean, I, you know, it's kind of a toss-up because I don't know whether or not, you know, th- this is like a, a t- the game that they really want to have. That said, um, it's a Sunday afternoon game. It's on ABC. You know, who knows if, if that's kind of the, the moment where the that's Knicks the thing, though. You never impress do know. everybody. And then, yeah, and then you have those last four, Toronto, Chicago, Brooklyn, Toronto. I, I don't know. I, and then you look at the Pacers, and they're playing like garbage I mean, if the Knicks met the Pacers in the first round, that would at least be an interesting series. Going if they were to meet the Pacers going into Game One, there would just be if the Pacers kept at this pace, <laughs> no <laughs> pun intended, <laughs> it would it would be there'd be a lot of question marks. Now those could be answered after a Game One blowout, like I would think would happen, but you never know. A, a stat that I wanted uh, to mention before we get off the Nets and continue talking about the Pacers, because I want to talk about the Pacers a lot right now, um, they're only the third team in the last 40 years of the NBA to qualify for the playoffs after beginning the new year at at least 10 games below 500, courtesy of the Elias Sports Bureau. Yeah, that I I can't believe that. Unbelievable turnaround. We've we've I mean I've seen it firsthand, and you just asked the players what the difference was, and it was just, they just said it took time to gel. You know, Coach Kid's plan. Took time to get new effect, and now they're mo- they're moving the ball at an extremely well re- pace. They get open looks, and they're just playing like a well a well rounded team. You know, it's not one guy doing it. It's almost I've read this somewhere last night. It's almost whoever's the benefactor for the night. It could be Pierce, it could be Livingston, it could be anyone any given night. And they're a really scary team right now going into these playoffs. Yeah, Pacers. kid. Kid got well. We'll get back to the Pacers in just a second. But Kid did get Coach of the Month for March, and they didn't lose a game at Barclays. They've really created a great home court advantage there. As for the Pacers, the one thing I want everybody to understand is they're still ahead in the win column of the Heat. They've just played two more games. They have one more win, one more loss. It really does not make that big a difference. Like they, everyone's saying that their seasons, they're not getting the one seed now. They very well could. You never know what's going to happen in Miami. Whether they start resting players. It's just frustrating. They when could. It's was, in the standings, obviously, the right, win percentage right. is why. But we'll see. I was doing some research today on the Pacers um, this morning. They uh, Now, only the 76ers have a worse field goal percentage than the Pacers since March 1st. The 76ers shoot it at 41.7%. The Pacers at 42.3%. In March, they did. And they were 11th in the NBA in field goal percentage until... The beginning well, of March. And I, I think that's kind of a, a dirty little secret about the Pacers is that their offense, while definitely above average in the top half of the league, <laughs> is not going to bail them out of anything. They can't rely on it if their defense ever does fail. And they, they've built a system where their defense is not going to fail. That's what their whole point. Right. But you have to keep an eye on their, the fact their offense is 
not elite. And then you also you look at the fact that they've taken the most mid-range jumpers in the NBA since March 1st. They're only shooting it at 38%, which is a 3% decrease from their norm, which, I mean, again, you're shooting mid-range jumpers at 41% in general. That's not a, a fantastic look for you. And then their restricted area field goal percentage is down 7% in March. So uh, you look all around this team, there is, there are, are faults. And there's also attitude problems with, with what with what Roy Hibbert came out and said. There was a, a really cool statistic out yesterday. Someone looked at um, Kwame Brown's quote-unquote bust season in 03-04. And he had 11 points per game, 7 rebounds. And I believe the other one's an assist, and he shot at 49%. Roy Hibbert, I know this, this year, 11 points, 7 rebounds, an assist, and shooting at 46%. So Kwame Brown had a better year in 0304 than Roy when Hibbert he, was when having he literally currently. was considered like failing at the NBA. Right. And this is— Roy Ro- Hibbert's having a dreadful, dreadful season. Michael Jordan's worst decision ever is possibly Roy Hibbert right now. As I'm saying is— Kwame Brown was Michael Jordan's worst decision by picking him, and then you have Roy Hibbert matching up against that. I didn't even hear about that stat until you just brought it up. That's crazy. Unbelievable. Yeah. And I don't know that Roy Hibbert straightens it out, and I'll tell you this plain flat out. The Pacers are going nowhere if Roy Hibbert doesn't. The one thing, though, is if they play themselves in the two-seed, they do have an easier road even though they don't get the home court advantage. They'd have Charlotte and then Toronto likely in the second round. They would avoid the Chicago-Brooklyn matchup that yeah. seems to be what it's going to be. And yeah, I think Kevin's right. I don't want to face the winner of that series either. No, not at all. I mean, even the Knicks playing them in the first round, Pacers don't want to play the Knicks. They just lost recently. No, that they don't at all. But um, let's let's go back to the Knicks here and just talk about this game tonight and kind of give our <laughs> prediction as we get into our predictions about this game because it does owe a little bit of attention. And you know, there have been comments made by Sean Livingston. Darren Williams leading up to this game, talking about its importance, it's a rivalry, the Nets want this game. You think back to the last time these guys played at Barclays Center, or, excuse me, two games it ago, the first time they played at Barclays Center, then next time was Martin Luther King Day. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was at both. Um, the That game was so lopsided, and then the Martin Luther King Day game was, like, so even. Um, I, I, I personally would say that the Nets would make it a lopsided game again to kind of continue that pattern, but they're so tired right now, I think, from playing so many games I that th- I think this is going to be a very competitive one. It is going to be a competitive one, and I would say this. If this was at Barclays, I would give the Net- the Knicks no chance. I think the Nets are just comfortable there. They've gotten into a nice nice routine at home. They're They're very comfortable. Like I said, they're comfortable playing at home, and they're just dominant as of late. But when you go to the Garden... And the Knicks are very close to a playoff spot. There's going to be a raucous crowd. I can totally see the Knicks pulling this one off, even though the Nets are playing at a much better pace right now, if you ask me. Oh, and before we get to picks, the Spurs. Oh. The Spurs. I don't I, I don't appreciate it. Nobody in this room appreciates it. You, you will never be able to place a word on how amazing what the Spurs do year to year, and especially this year, <laughs> week, week in, week out, night in, night out. Eight tre- uh, 18 straight games it is unbelievable, and no one is even, like, blinking an eye or, or you know, just, I mean, people are just shrugging it off because it's the Spurs, and they're amazing, and they play Golden State tonight, and they'll probably win. 
Oh, they'll absolutely win. Back they're, to back. they're a much better team. They're they're twenty nine and eight on the road. They're just <laughs> so crazy. An incredibly consistent product. And Greg Popovich is is on Mount Rushmore. He's amazing. Everything goes to him. I bow down to how good he is at coaching in the NBA. Without, without a doubt. And the thing I just wanted to say was that earlier in the year, we were even on this this podcast, we were talking about the Spurs, how they couldn't get it done against good teams. We, d- and we, we did say that. They had a horrible record against good teams, and they would, all they did was take care of goodness against the bad uh, take care of business against the bad ones. No, I know. And I know. now we're looking at it. And Eggs on our game face. Wing, yeah, without a doubt. By the way, Nick Young last night, 40 points. Nick Young. Nick uh, Okay, Young, let's go baby. to picks. Swaggy P. Yeah, Bean let's burrito. go to picks. Pistons at Pacers. <laughs> The Pistons are 10-point uh, dogs in this game. I'm going to take the Pistons to cover the 10-point spread. Uh, I don't know if I could take the Pistons. I'm going to go with it. the I'm going to go with the Pistons as well. I can't The Pacers are too scary right now. You can't put any bet on them. I was going to go with the Pistons until both of you picked them, so I'm going to go with the Pacers. All right, next up Rockets at Raptors. The Raptors are giving two and a half in this game. Uh, this is a, this is a, a kind of a really tough pick because it's such a. Um, I think the Rockets will cover. I'm gonna go Raptors. I think for some reason the Rockets just this has been a tough road trip for them with it the has. Nets last night. I'm, so I'm gonna I'm, go with the Raptors as well. Yeah. Sorry to be that guy, but the Rockets looked pretty pretty abysmal last night. They looked lost. Here's yeah. here's Knicks Nets. The Knicks are two point favor. Or excuse me, two and a half point favorites in this game, and I I personally think that they are going to pull this out. Uh, I th- I think by like three points. Like I honestly think they're gonna cover by like that much. I'll take the Nets if if they lose this game. It's gonna be so close. I don't think they're gonna lose this game. I think the, I just yeah. think the Knicks see the opportunity to to literally move into the playoff picture right now. And this is a team that's been strangely motivated. I think in the last like couple they, of weeks because they know they're that. Close. Which is awesome for the Knicks because we've been waiting for that all year. But I think the Nets see an opportunity to stomp on their big brother, and win in MSG and advance in the seating. Yeah, I'm going to go Knicks. Uh, I don't know about the Nets tonight. I, you just don't know who they're going to rest and what's going to end up happening. I really think the, the Knicks will pull this one out. All right, the Sixers are eight-and-a-half-point dogs against the Bobcats. Sixers are at home. I, I think Charlotte's a no-brainer. Charlotte. Yeah. Charlotte. I think, th- yeah, I think they'll win by eight-and-a-half. Um, okay, Celtics giving eight-and-a-half to the uh, Wizards in Washington. Take the Wizards. They are trying to keep pace in the East. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Wizards, too. I'm going to also take the Wizards because they the Celtics burned me recently on this show. Cavs at Magic. The Magic give eight to Cleveland. I, I think the Magic are going to cover that. Uh, maybe, but I just, I'm just i going to go Cavs. Oh, excuse me. No, no, it's not. A, it's a two-point line now. What a liar. There's been a lot Whoa. of action on the on the Magic. A lot of action. Well, I think that's, in, that's a good, there's a good reason Cleveland. for that. Take Cleveland but, now. But the Cavs, they need... They need this game, too. They could tie the Knicks for the eighth spot, too. Yeah, I go Cavs as well. Yeah, I, I, we're all going Cavs there. We all just went Wizards. And now the Heat, who are 13-point favorites uh, against the Bucks. For some reason, they opened as four-and-a-half-point underdogs. That That's probably <laughs> a misprint. Weird. That's probably Pro- a misprint. Yeah, probably four-and-a-half-point favorites. But anyway, it's 13 now. I, th- I think they're going to cover it. I'll take Miami as well. If this was in Milwaukee, I'd feel a little bit differently. Maybe have a big Giannis it's game, in, but yeah. I have to go with the Heat. Oh, my. Giannis. I love Giannis. Okay, Bulls at Hawks. Hawks giving two to Chicago. I think the Knicks are going to move into the A spot. They're taking the Bulls. 
I'll take the Bulls, too. Yeah, I'm going to take the Bulls. All on the Bulls bandwagon, I see. Okay, next one is Grizz at Wolves. That's at 8, and the Wolves are giving 4.5 to Memphis. And I, I got I got to go with Memphis here because I think the Wolves are, I think, trying to just get some posi- draft position right now. I think they are, too, but I don't think they'll blow this one. They're at home. They'll they'll take the win, and they'll win by enough. I'm going to go Grizz. All right, you're smart. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go Warriors at Spurs, which is going to be an awesome game. But the Warriors back-to-back, can they do it against the Spurs? Well, it's a 9.5-point spread favoring the Spurs. The Spurs I are a wild card team. I think team. You the Golden never, State Warriors you never know cover. who they're going to play. You never know when they're going to say enough's enough. I think the Warriors cover, but I don't think they win. Give me the Spurs. They're yeah. on a roll. We could see old on the st- on the sheet tonight. I don't I don't know how to feel about this, but I'm going to go Spurs. I, I, that's the point. Like they could still win and cover. Okay, Pelicans at Nuggets nine o'clock. Nuggets get three and a half. Denver. I'm a, go ahead, Kev. I gotta think about it. I'm gonna go Denver because I think the Pelicans are still trying to drop at least a little bit to have a better shot. I don't think pick. Anthony Davis is fully healthy. I'm gonna go Nuggets as well. Wow. Okay. Um, we're all going Nuggets there, and then Lakers at Kings, and the Kings get seven or Kings get yeah Kings get seven. Um, or no, sorry, they're giving seven to the Lakers. Excuse me. Uh, I don't know about Matt. Go first. Uh, Swaggy P. Lakers, no doubt. Man, that's exactly what I was gonna say. But uh, whatever, I'm going with it. Lakers. Kings, give me Kings. Um, which is the famous last words. Uh, seven <laughs> point favorites. Nowhere they're gonna cover that. Uh, Clippers at Suns, our last one, and the Suns are actually three and three point favorites in this. The game. Suns are in the eighth spot in the West as of we us speaking right now. I think they're gonna stay there. They'll get the win by three. Give me that win. Yeah, they've been fighting. I'm gonna go Suns as well. Give me that win. All right, that's all the time we have for Pick and Pod. We gotta get out of here. Because we're just terrible human beings and holding up everybody at this station. Thanks again to our guest, Steve Hurt from the Elias Sports Bureau. You can follow us all on Twitter at Kenny Ducey, at MattyRow16, at Sir Kevin Kelly, at WFPV Sports, WFPV.org slash pick and pod. We will see you next Wednesday and enjoy some NBA action tonight. <laughs>